0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. I've been thinking a lot about time recently, and especially I've been thinking about running late. A few weeks ago, I was late for three different appointments before I realized that the battery in my watch had died. Not long ago, we had a funeral here for a beloved church member, and we seriously considered deliberately starting late because it had always been his habit to arrive about 20 minutes late. We thought it might be a fitting memorial. And then, of course, today, in a very obvious way, our construction project is running a little late. The stonework in the garden is still taking shape, and those gigantic odd concrete tubes in the parking lot eventually have to go into the ground, and then a new lot placed over top. As you peek into the space from this door or from downstairs, You'll see that a few little final details need to be done. We're running late because of winter weather delays and permitting and inspections and the reality of building something new onto something old in the District of Columbia. But all that's okay. All that's okay because we're getting there. We're getting there soon. We'll get there together, and we'll get there with God. And with God, it's never too late. That idea of late is simply not a concept in the mind of God. Being late exists, of course, for most of us. It's that fact of having arrived after the appointed time. But it's also that deeper emotional feeling that we sometimes get of having arrived a little too late for the party, having shown up after the heyday, too late to be of help, too late to fix, too late to save. It's that feeling of being too late that can sometimes obscure the presence of God. A lot of things can make us feel like we've arrived too late, or gotten too late a start, or even been born a little too late. Later this summer, in the month of June, the General Convention of the Episcopal Church meets in Salt Lake City, and as you might imagine leading up to this every three-year meeting, there's a lot of anxiety in the Church. A lot of anxiety about the future of the Episcopal Church, the future of Christianity, models of ministry, ways of worshiping. And some of that conversation is creative and useful. But a lot of that conversation, to me anyway at least, seems to be based in an almost generational self-doubt. That idea built into some of us that those who came before us somehow were more capable... They served a stronger church or a culture that was more in league with the church. And so a little voice begins to creep in our head that says, It's too late. There's not much you can do. Give up. It's pointless. You've missed your chance. That little voice, I think, is the voice of the devil, pure and simple. It's the voice of the accuser the one who questions everything and does his best to put out the flames of the Holy Spirit. That voice of doubt can prevent a person from doing all kinds of things, from learning a new skill, from changing an old habit. That little voice of doubt can keep us from pursuing a new friendship or relationship, from getting medical or psychological advice when we need it it can prevent us from trying a new job or from following god in some unclear but compelling direction again with god there's no such thing as too late and that's exactly what nicodemus is learning in today's gospel we don't know exactly how old nicodemus was at this point but clearly he had arrived he was a respected religious leader. He was well-established. He'd had a good career. He had family and friends around him. Maybe he'd made a few mistakes, but he'd enjoyed more than a few successes. He was who he was. He knew it, and everybody around him knew it. We know people like Nicodemus. Nicodemus. And yet something happened to Nicodemus. He heard Jesus and something began to shift within himself. Maybe everything wasn't as settled as he had previously imagined. Maybe some old grief or resentment suddenly resurfaced and cried out for attention. Maybe there was the sense of there being something more, something more. Even though Nicodemus must have surely had a lot of information in his head, He knew a lot about religious culture, he knew a lot about history, he knew a lot about himself. Until his experience with Jesus, it seems as though he had never really felt God's presence. When Nicodemus first heard Jesus, I imagine he probably stood at the back of the crowd and stayed in the shadows. He wasn't anywhere near ready to commit or be a part of the group But he took it all in. He carefully considered what he heard, and he he began to live into his questions. Nicodemus wants to find out more, and so he he comes to Jesus at night, when nobody else is around. Nicodemus begins to talk to Jesus, and he hears that there's this thing called new birth. Jesus tells him about being born again, or being born from above. I think we need to pause at this point to talk about that phrase of being born again. That phrase has all but been ruined in our time by those parts of the church that make it sound like it always has to include lightning striking or some dramatic affair with angels and trumpets or some absolute sense of God's presence that completely overpowers. Well, for some, it happens that way. But for most of us, it's very different, I think. It's slower. It's gentler. It's quieter. Being born again or being born from above is less certain. It's much less emphatic. And if you think about it, if being born again were really a once and for all kind of thing, what need would there be for God afterwards? It's very different, though. Being born again is not some inoculation of faith that rules out any future possibility of doubt or or sickness or despair or death. Instead, being born again and again and again is the way God works with us. It's the way God works in us. It's God's way of reminding us that by God, in Christ, with the Holy Spirit, there is never, ever any such thing as too late Many of you know the story of C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer. C.S. Lewis's mother died when he was 10 years old. And that began a long chapter in his early life when he had no use whatsoever for God. He was an agnostic, if not an absolute atheist. But Lewis eventually came to know Christ in a new way. He began to call himself a Christian at the age of 33. He married and met the love of his life at the age of 57. Mother Teresa didn't hear her calling for a clear vocation to serve the poorest of the poor until she was well into her forties. A friend of mine loves those books, Little House on the Prairie. And it's worth pointing out that Laura Ingalls Wilder, that wildly successful author, didn't publish her first book until she was 64. And of course, there's that man in Rome, Pope Francis. He's just getting started. He began his job at the age of 76, and daily it seems he's busy offending all the right people, as he shows us. as he shows us what it means and what it can look like to be born again and again and again. We have stories closer at home, in our own families, in our own lives, in our own church. I think of the 75-year-old man who one day finally realized that his wife and his children were probably alcoholics, and his grandchild had just been charged with a DUI. And so he joined Al-Anon, and he began being born again. Or the woman I knew in a previous parish who stopped smoking on her 80th birthday. When asked, she, besa- she said because she wanted to have nice breath when she met the Lord. And I bet she did. Our own Mother orance I cleared this before I include her in the sermon, but Mother Orance, who in her spare time has begun as a student in the Doctor of Ministry program at Virginia Seminary. One of the most famous born-again people in the history of the church, of course, is St. Augustine, that fifth-century bishop and theologian. After spending much of his youth following other religions, looking into fashionable philosophies, using women, social climbing, Augustine was born again. He recalls the experience in beautiful words. Late have I loved you, O beauty ever ancient, ever new. Late have I loved you. You were within me, but I was outside, and it was there that I searched for you. In my unloveliness I plunged into the lovely things which you created. You were with me, but I was not with you. Created things kept me from you, yet if they had not been in you, they would not have been at all. You called, you shouted, and you broke through my deafness. You flashed, you shone, and you dispelled my blindness. You breathed your fragrance on me. I drew in breath, and now I pant for you. I have tasted you, now I hunger and thirst for more. You touched me, and I burned for your peace. We couldn't have picked a better gospel for this day. This day, when we give thanks for our new addition, when we dedicate it to God, and when we allow our church to be born again in God's mission, in some way we'll see how. There are several ways that the story, is, the story of Nicodemus, can inform us today. There's that obvious way we've already talked about, where Nicodemus urges us each to be open to God's love and life, no matter what age we're at, no matter what condition, what place. With God, there's no such thing as too late. But also, Nicodemus encourages us, I think, to continue to get better at being a church that welcomes wholeheartedly the Nicodemuses of the world. Those people who might approach God through our church, but from the edge, from the shadows, from a side door. Maybe they approach us first through a conversation, or or through a mission project, or through a musical event. It might be the 20-year-old who's never been exposed to religion and knows nothing about Christianity. It might be a person who's heard a lot about Jesus, but has never known a vibrant, loving, welcoming form of Christianity. Or it might be those who think they've got it all worked out. Life is what it is. And then there's a crisis or a question. Something comes along and rocks their world. We need to be welcome and open to all. As you all know, our construction project has been about accessibility and hospitality, and part of that description is obvious. It's the elevator that's fully installed but yet doesn't have its inspection or permits. It's the two accessible restrooms, which if you're really in need of blessing them today, you can slip in and do that. (laughs) It's a new patio. We can use the patio. We can go out through the undercroft, And a garden that's taking form. It's all those things so that our building can be more accessible. But as we all know, hospitality is a larger thing. It's a part of our ongoing mission. Henry Nouwen explores this when he writes that Hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them space where change can take place. It is not to bring men and women over to our side of things, but to offer freedom not disturbed by dividing lines. I love that phrase, to offer freedom, undisturbed by dividing lines. It's a phrase that would be a nice addition to those wise words downstairs um, in marble that will be in the new edition. Those, those words that come from a sermon from our founding rector when he hoped and prayed and dreamed of a church that was neither a broad church nor a narrow church neither a high church nor a low church, but a church for all souls. We might tweak the high church part just a tad, but I think he'd understand. Today we celebrate God's grace and God's generosity. We celebrate God's allowing us to do a great thing for the future of all souls. And even though we're not quite yet finished with the building, nor is God yet finished with us, And with God, there's no such thing as too late. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.